Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Welcome to Crunch Time for Red Rooster. Seize the cheese. Try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so getting fast. The Rooster's calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Bouncing ball for Lynch. He gathers, he steadies, he assessed and he snapped the goal. That is a touch of class from Tom Lynch. Rioli at the drop, opens it up and pulls it home. Tigers one into the other. And Bolton's still ready. Ready to rise and take a magnificent mark into the night sky at the MCG. Shane Bolton with a big skip up over the pack. What a star. The shyster. That is some mark. <laughs> Graham fumble just to compound the air, grabbed by Rowan, handball to close, he'll give it to Cameron, and the Cats are in front. Kicked to full forward, flossed and dropped it, close to Jez, who's kicked another. <laughs> Can you believe it? Close blue, Smith robed, and Smith goal! Running away from goal into the forward pocket, off the left boot, and an animated Damien Hardwick did not like what he saw. Menegola releases it to Cameron, he's kicking for six. Jeremy Cameron charging away with six in the back pocket. So the Cats snap the Tigers' strangleholds. And they give everybody much to ponder with a powerful performance. We had a really good game against them in 2019, midway through the year. And one thing you know is they come back. So I'm not sure how much this game is going to mean in the context of the, the longer term. Um, but... I think it gives our guys some confidence that they can more than compete against the best. Geelong dramatically changes the course of its rivalry with Richmond's with a comprehensive smacking of the reigning Premier. The question, how much to read into the events of last night as a foreteller of what's to come? New cat Isaac Smith joins us. We've got some quality players out. We still expect to be better than what we were tonight in that second half. You know, Geelong are a very, very good side. You know, we can see the way they go about the game. They've added talent from last year. You know, that Higgins, that guy, Isaac Smith, you had um, Jeremy Cameron. They're three really good players. So they got better again. We've got to catch them. The credits of last Friday night handed back one week on. Uncharacteristically shaky on the fields. Is that a mirror of the Tigers' position at four and four? I've loved the club. They've always put faith in me, drafted me since in 2014. And... Um, yeah, and I just want to repay the faith. You just didn't need to rush into this deal. And Collingwood did similar with Brodie Grundy and others, and it ripped the place apart. I'm sensitive to continuing to talk about Mara and, and his journey because it, it doesn't help him and 
and even our relationship, you know, he doesn't want me talking publicly about him and, and I don't really want to do it. We support Geordie, absolutely. He's a young man who is trying and endeavouring to contribute to the club as best he possibly can. The big names of the game dominate discussions. The high-wire strategy of long-term contracts and the future of prized assets up for debate as an intriguing Saturday of Round 8 awaits. This is Crunch Time. If you're a Geelong fan of a certain vintage, it's entirely possible you've spent the morning scrounging around in the back of the wardrobe for that old number five jumper you used to wear as a kid. That was the sort of effect last night had as the most famous number in the club's history again held sway. So what to do with that? I guess it's second only to absorbing what the sound of wind on Mars sounds like is understanding what last night meant. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Justin Lepich, we couldn't be in better hands. Is a big portfolio for you today. Oh, I've got some questions coming my way, haven't I? But uh, <laughs> who says revenge doesn't feel good? I feel like, I think Geelong supporters this morning will be smiling, that's for sure. Daisy Pierce was there, watched it all unfold live. Hello, Daisy. Hey, G. Oh, yeah, well, it's probably not revenge for a grand final loss, but you take it, and I think you take great belief from... Their ability last night to be able to change gears seamlessly and in the right moments between their slow control game that we've seen Geelong play and now this fast attacking style that threatened a good defensive system. There was a lot to work through in the aftermath, so Sam Edmonds been busy this morning. He'll bring you the injury toll and the other discussion points. Sam, hello. G'day, Jared. Daisy, Leper, good to be with you this morning. Is there a better athlete in the game at the moment than Shea Bolton? What an incredible mark. He's like a cat on the deck. He's like an eagle in the sky. He's got scintillating acceleration, and we got a mark for the ages in the goal square yeah. last night. That was an all-timer. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Mind you, it doesn't shock me. I've seen Shay do so many crazy things, even in the gymnasium, you know, where they stack up all the um, levels of uh, – what, what is that, Daisy, those big mats that they stack up? He, he can jump, you know, higher than anyone in the in the gym as well. So it's not surprising. In fact, one day he'll jump over someone. So <laughs> it's probably lucky Mark, it was Mark Blitzabs. He might have jumped over him, I reckon. That's incredible. Yeah. It got onto him and then he got the separation. So there's a little bit of the Ashley Sampy mark about it as you get the first – Leap, and then you get the extra height with the push-off. Athleticism, something else. But his timing for the aerial ball is unbelievable. And the belief and conviction to go for them. Yeah. So and he was thinking about the photographers with that last kick. <laughs> yeah, that last <laughs> little one. Oh, this will look good if I just do this last little one on the camera too. So that adds a little bit of theatre to it as well. And the landing. You said cat, Sammy. That was yeah. a cat-like landing. That's amazing. The raw leap, how he gets up that high on his own steam, is just you just shake your head. There were two sensational parts to it. One was that Hutto just saw it unfolding sort of seconds ahead of it. And then the second was everyone then turned to the scoreboard to wait. And you could hear in the call there's this pause and then there's this extraordinary gasp from the crowd as they see the first replay. We all knew we'd seen something memorable. And Michael Wilson on the spot, yeah. uh, photographer-wise. I mean, that was that will last forever. So great that it's been captured perfectly. The fans knew we'd seen something special, but I reckon every one of the other 17 Richmond players knew as well. They celebrated like fans of the game. Liam Baker gave it the fist as he <laughs> yeah. was running in for the front and centre. Even Lockie Henderson told us he was one step from it and he said it's second only to the Andrew Walker. 
mark that he witnessed firsthand in what he's seen. Oh, it's, and the beauty is, and you, you mentioned uh, Michael Wilson had the picture of it. You get to put that on your wall now forever. You can't <laughs> take that away. There's nothing worse than taking a big hanger in the in a game back in the old days and you open the papers like, oh, no one got us. <laughs> well, we got, we got, gonna, no one's ever going to talk about it ever again. We've got two posters now because two 29s taking two massive hangers in the goal screen. You can have your Gary Moorcroft poster and there you can have your Shea Bolton one as well. It's a brilliant feature of the game. Uh, that's the best of it for Richmond. There's plenty of it in the worst category. So, so let's get into it. What happened last? night it was complete role reversal wasn't it we spoke on tuesday a little bit it's going to be about the second half of this game and whether geelong can sustain it so it wasn't for me about what happened up until half time but the game was played differently in the first half it was richmond's pressure and you think oh, i didn't realize it was going to come this early i didn't think they were going to outwill them outmuscle them score off turnover and make the game all this within the first quarter I and mean, geez didn't it change and then geelong did what they did well, which is control the ball, but they did it with a faster mode, which I know Chris is a bit bristly about. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, they always use the corridor, but they did it with a, a bit of a faster mode. And you saw it there, Daisy. They just carved through Richmond's defence so easily. I mean, eight goals won from defensive 50 against one of the best defensive 50 defences in the competition. That's just, it's just an obliteration. Well, the number for that score source, for context, it's usually about 15 to 20% of all goals kick come from your D50. So to get eight goals won originating from your defensive, defensive 50, 50 yeah. to be able to kick your well, way Richmond through was, like yeah. they did is unbelievable. One goal won last year, Richmond average from defensive 50. So that gives you some context. So it's eight times what they usually did. Mind you, they had a different defensive coach back then, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a little maybe. bit of this going on. <laughs> <laughs> it happened in the Swans game. It's happened in the Geelong game. <laughs> a bit of clickbait there. Yeah, like. well, maybe. But, but yeah, um, yeah it, it is a, it's an astounding number. They're the best kicking team in the comp, I think, Geelong. Their ability to, to see it and take it and back their leg. They find space where there is none. And their identification of a mismatch quickly and being able to kick it to their teammates' advantage is so fast. I think that's what helps speed up their ball movement, but they don't look and then wait for it to be a certainty. I can kick there and I, I know it's going to hit. They, they back their own skills and they have good understanding with their teammates, I think, and, and that speeds things up. Is it the best kicking display since the Hawthorne teams of 13, 14, 15? It was. And one thing I noticed, they were very conscious not to use kick the ball too wide on the MCG. If they got sort of in the wider corridor, they had the option to go one step over to the boundary and went, nah, I'm taking that one back inside of the corridor. The difference for those out there, if you take the one to the boundary, Richmond will pin you. So they'll, they'll they, man, invite that. they invite that, they'll, you'll man the mark and they'll get their 18-man zone around that. So the difference between going, if you're just outside sort of the wing line, from going back inside or back outside, that could be the difference between you getting a great matchup with Jeremy Cameron out the back or space out the back or literally hemming yourselves into a long down the line death game. So they took that, had the courage to do it. And they've done it before at the MCG. So it's not the first time they, they've done it. And they've had good signs in the past of playing that style, although they haven't won. There's actually been times where it, I know on the coach's box, it looked worrying if they did get through. So they did, they have learned a lot on to how to play Richmond at the G. The other kick that was really important, not so much that ball movement kick to pick their way through, but to find that first one. So you're under the Richmond pressure. So many teams succumb to it and will either blast it, which feeds that Richmond intercept game, or they'll have to go backwards with it under pressure. Geelong were able to find, just squeeze a 15-metre kick to to relieve the pressure, get control, and then start picking their way through. So just that difference between screwing it around the corner, high ball chaos, to, to mm. finding a mark that allows you then to set up the ground was huge, I thought, last night. So an alteration in mode in terms of speed. There was a different plan for Dustin Martin when he went forward, Tom Stewart 
was his man. So in the midfield, there was a, a little bit of Selwood and a little bit of Guthrie. But as soon as, so you say stoppage forward. So forward, it was Stewart who was entrusted with him. And I think a bit like Dugowie the previous week is another week on from concussion. He was nothing like the figure that we're used to. That worked. Mm. And then Jeremy Cameron comes in and that dynamic of the forward line. So when you get six out of Cameron, five out of Rowan, and four out of Hawkins, and it was sort of a historic moment when the votes were cast at the end of the night. Nick Del Santo gave them three, two, one. It was. They were really dominant. I mean, the Richmond backs were under the pump all day, and it was, if you would love to be a Geelong forward on the night, I think the best way to explain it, if you watch the last three minutes of the game, if you're a Geelong supporter when they were kicking the ball around the back line, I've almost seen that's how they've played a bit in the past, where they've waited, 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 then gone for. There was there was none of that. That was the only time of the game you probably saw that slow, slow, slow mode. So, uh, one thing I liked about uh, hopefully they've found a way Geelong. So I think early, I think it was round one Adelaide they were going too fast and couldn't defend back against it the other way. But they've, they've sort of found a nice little balance where they can still hurt the opposition and still defend behind it. But getting back to the dusty thing, that that strategy is not new. I mean, a lot of teams have. Met him at stoppage and then waited for him out there. But I think the, the difference is you just don't let the ball in. You know, you, 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 they got smashed around the clearances, so the ball went Geelong's way most of the night, and you don't give him that opportunity to go forward after the clearance and, and do damage. Jared Leber mentioned the clearance. Geelong, as good as their kicking was by foot, uh, their, their skills are amazing, but their power, they looked really powerful last night. And Damien Harbick made a point in the post-match press conference of saying, we knew they were going to try and step through tackles. They take the tackle on first. We knew that was coming. We couldn't stop it. Is that something that Richmond and other clubs know Geelong are going to do? Has this been a theme for, for some time for them? Yeah, no, they've always been good in that way. They always take on the tackler really well. Yeah. Their, their ability to get their hands through and keep the play moving has always been excellent. And I guess that's when you lose a few players through your midfield and you're playing a lot of kids. Can they counteract that strategy? It's very, as Chris said, funny enough, in the reverse of Richmond, it's easy to know, harder to stop. Mm. Damien Harbick said the same thing about Geelong. We knew it was going to happen, but we probably didn't have the personnel given the youth through the midfield, they could actually stop that particular tactic. And Richmond did look a bit vulnerable in the ruck, didn't they? I thought um, Blitzarves was all over Marlon Pickett, and Asava Radigalier's athleticism was, was pretty important in there as well against Big Nank, who's been brilliant so far this year. So we will delve a bit deeper into Richmond shortly when we'll hear more of Damien Hardwick, but they were so shaky in defence in the third quarter. It was, it was confronting, so Grimes wasn't there. But the number of marks they dropped, which led to direct goals, including Floston at the forefront of it. So there were younger players who dropped them, but Floston uh, was culpable as, as well. That, that was, And this has been uh, your portion of the ground, Leper. I can't recall that. Yeah, and getting back, look, look at Jeremy Cameron's first game last week compared to now. I think there's week one and Dustin Martin as well. There is a bit of rust in week one. So I think with Nick, you've got to give him a little bit of grace because he has been a long time out of the game, yep. hasn't played any VFL footy. So there are some guys there. That's the last game you want to come back to when you first came back, is it? Getting hammered like and that. He's, he's managed, what, a half against Carlton and then missed six. So he's not played mm. any footy for a long, long time. So he's off a long layoff and then out there without Grimes, who he'd be so used to having next to him for that instruction and trust that is so important when you're playing a, a team defence system. Look, we'll, we'll go on a – I love the word deep dive. Everyone's using it at the moment. It's a beauty. But we'll look at the Richmond sort of list analysis and where they sit and their kids and where they have to be, probably compared to Geelong, who's a, probably combined the two a little bit well through the trade period and also um, – their players, the young players that have come through. But I, I just thought that was the difference. The handful of mature players, and I think Dimmer alluded to it a little bit, that Geelong had compared to Richmond on the night was the difference, I think, in the end. 
just before we get the full toll of the night. So Jeremy Cameron kicks six. So he's gone three, three, six. And that was Geelong brought him in for this. He is the Tom Hawkins successor. They get a couple of years of them together. And then it's it's his. We, we know he's a superstar of the game. Um, and that was unmissable last night. Yeah, and it struck me how quickly they seem to be able to work well together. You kind of expected this um, getting to know each other period. But I think given how unselfishly Tom Hawkins has played for so long, that lends itself to it, it working pretty quickly because he doesn't have to adjust to not being the, the one and, and being the main guy. He's been playing that way for a long time, been happy to share it around. Now Jeremy Cameron comes in, not much changes for Hawkins other than that he's got somebody to really share that load with. And, I mean, in in that forward line and, and with Tom Hawkins taking a big defender, Jeez, he looks dangerous. So good in the air, so athletic. And then job's not done when it hits the ground because he's just as um, has as much of an impact there. That's the twenty-two disposals. It really is a bit. I'm just really intrigued with with Jeremy Cameron. I mean, he got a lot of his ball up the field, and then he's. You can see the way he's still playing a bit of Giants footy because you see moments he's running around almost like a midfielder and then he's bolting hard forward and then does his stuff as a key position. So I think that's why he'll complement the Geelong system because Hawkins can then still be relatively your stay-at-home guy. Gary Rowan could play upfield, but he likes to play a bit closer to goal. He's that sort of guy that you're, you're probably saying he, he looks like he should play a little higher up the field, but he's like, yeah, but I keep walking backwards because I like kicking goals. So... He he sort of connects those two dots really well as well. So he, it'll be it's a really good marriage, I think that that threesome there. The toll. Gary Rowan, you reckon he's happy just quickly that Jeremy Cameron's come in? I tell you, talk about the cascade effect. The the toll is well potentially severe. Um, Sam Simpson only described by Chris Scott and Geelong as a, a muscular injury, but he's done a, a hamstring again, unfortunately, Jared. So it's a high hamstring, which normally spells doom. But there's a level of optimism at Geelong that. That perhaps it's not a long-termer, but again, that's subject to scans. Asava Radagalia was thought to be concussion. He actually got a poke in the eye. So Geelong is saying he's fine there. There's there's no problem at all. Shane Edwards, though. So this is a big watch for Richmond at the moment. So he hurt his ankle. We know he couldn't finish the game. So there's fears of the dreaded S-word, the syndesmosis. He's yet to be scanned. But again, the expectation slash hope is that it's on the minor end at the moment. They are copying it at the moment, Rich, and we haven't got into, obviously, with Prestia Grimes, Cochin and Lambert and co. out. So there's the injuries. And then what did you make of the potential match review officer situation with Joel Selwood, Jared? Yeah, so this is Channel 7 um, did a lot of analysis on this at three-quarter time and afterwards. Have you had a close look at it, Days? Oh, I, I was watching it as the game unfolded, and but... I mean, it just looks like perfect ground ball technique from a guy trying to win the footy. And I know head ends up where he's trying to win the ball, but I don't think you can really question Salwood's action. So the question is, did he elect to bump? Oh. And if he does, if he hasn't elected to bump, then it doesn't go into the the next phase. Yeah, you, you got to when you look at these things, you have to also look at the action of Mansell and whether he protected himself enough as well in that particular contest. So I think, and I see this a lot in junior sport, which is a bit of a worry, but kids going in, in arms and head first, well, just take someone to actually have correct technique and use their, their, their shoulder and their hip first, and then you've got a really dangerous weapon against the head. So what are we doing? Are we telling our players, let's both go head, head first, yeah. so we bump heads, or are we both going in? Because I'm not clear. I, I wouldn't know what the AFL directive is. I mean, coaching would tell you turn your body a little bit and use the side of your body to protect yourself. Yeah, it's huge in AFLW as well where there's a big discrepancy between the experienced players and the not-so-experienced that 
that the player using good technique that you're taught protects your own head is the one that can, can like often gets punished and the person using poor technique, as you described, Leper, is the one that's being rewarded, which I don't think is the way forward. It's not even about being rewarded. It's about protecting. Mm. And you may get a free kick, you may not get a free kick, but what we don't want is concussion. You know, you want to protect our players from, you know, potential injury in the long term. So that's what it should be there for and, and teaching them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply how to do it properly so you'll see those mistakes more from younger kids and obviously you do experienced players who know what they're doing so lepers deep dive on the tigers and isaac smith is going to join us next you're listening to crunch time for the new navara at werribee western and footscray nissen this is crunch time in the aftermath of geelong's 63 point win over richmond isaac smith took the crash course last night in the recent rivalry between the cats and the tigers and he is with us this morning isaac welcome to crunch time Jared, good morning. How would you, so you've known the odd fierce rivalry that's been personal over the journey. What was it like to drop into this one so far advanced? Yeah, it was nice. I guess uh, over my career, I've been fortunate enough to play in a few good rivalries, and uh, this one was building uh, quite nicely for Richmond and Geelong. But I think, uh, as Justin would know, Richmond had the upper hand, especially over the last uh, six or seven years. So, uh, well, probably a different look, uh, Geelong side last night and it proved to be a different result but uh, it was nice to win but um, hopefully we get a chance to knock them off when the whips are cracking. Could you detect a certain edginess either in the lead up during the week or in the during the game last night? Uh, not necessarily probably no more edgy than uh, any other big games I've played in but uh, you could certainly feel that it was a big game of football and um, there was a little bit on the line which was nice. Hey, Isaac, Justin Levy, what great win last time, mate. Well, maybe you were the difference in the end of uh, Geelong getting over the line. I'm actually really keen. You obviously spent a very long time at a great club at Hawthorne and uh, multiple premierships at that football club. What are some of the differences? Obviously, both Hawthorne and Geelong are terrific organisations, but what are the gaps um, between the Hawks and the Geelong that you noticed early days? Yeah, I guess, uh, Justin, it's interesting. I think, uh, and you'd know, going to different uh, footy clubs, uh, along your journey, that uh, it's amazing that we can all be fighting uh, for the same prize, which is the Premiership Cup, but uh, clubs internally run so different. Um, and there's certainly a few things that uh, are different to Hawthorne uh, and Geelong, but probably um, the one thing that smacked me in the face when I walked in was the community uh, within Geelong uh, is fully behind uh, the whole organisation. And I think the relaxed nature of Geelong certainly transfers into the organisation as well. And um, they're fairly laid back and um, just take things in their stride, which um, when you're in the bubble of Melbourne, it's probably a little bit different in that sense. Um, there's probably a thousand things they do differently, but that was the first thing that really sort of hit me in the face when I walked in the door. Yeah, one thing that did look a little different, I know we've everyone's touched on the speed of the back half movement compared to Geelong, uh, even in the recent, the first month, but... 
we just sort of we just sort of noticed as we we're having a little chat, just using the corridor a little bit more. You had that option at times to go to the wider option and cut back inside. Was that something that was talked about a lot, not getting pinned into the boundary against Richmond in the game last night? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Uh, you'd know uh, as good as anyone that when Richmond get their pressure up and they start swarming you, especially when they can lock you into a bit of a corner, um, then they're able to rebound off it so well. And uh, they call, they score um, very efficiently as well. They seem to get one forward of the ball. Uh, we probably didn't necessarily talk about it in that term. Uh, and we probably haven't really talked about our offensive ball movement a hell of a lot, but it's amazing when you get to the G and there's a little bit more space than the GMHBA, uh, how the middle seems to open up, I guess. Um, you can sort of lock yourself into a corner uh, down at 12 and you can't get out and there's not too much room to move. But I feel like probably the game plan from what I've heard that's evolved over the last three or four years that it's a, more, a lot more MCG friendly, which uh, fortunately for me, that's where the big games are played and hopefully we play our best football there. Hey, Isaac, Daisy Pierce here. The, the plan to go through the corridor is one thing, but it takes great kicking to be able to execute it. We've been praising um, the, the kicking last night, but also across the season for the Cats. How much of an emphasis is put on kicking? It's probably a silly question when the game's called football, but how much time during <laughs> the week would the Cats spend practising kicking? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, when I come to think of it, we certainly haven't practiced it any more at Geelong than what we did at Hawthorne, and I was fortunate to be in a Hawthorne team that uh, had such great kicks as well. But um, probably one thing that Clarko taught me uh, early on in my journey was you don't necessarily have to be a great kick. you just got to choose really good options, and if the options are out, you just hit them. Um, and it seems to be when you second-guess yourself at AFL level is uh, when you'll get yourself in trouble and... Uh, you'll probably turn it over more often than not. And I think uh, as a whole and a collective last night, we were playing uh, connected football and that allowed little easy options to open up and it made it very easy for the kicker. So, um, yeah, although we've got some great kicks through the midfield and I thought Cam Guthrie and Mitch Duncan led that last night, um, also the options uh, provided an easy option for the kicker, which... Uh, really helped us and allowed us to go through the middle a fair bit. Something we've seen from Richmond over the last couple of years is teams just be overwhelmed by their pressure and then they get forced into this chaos game that, that feeds the next part of their game style. Is something that teams are using and you employed last night is to try and force your way through the, the front of stoppages with the, a forward handball? We saw Melbourne do it effectively. Was that a bit of a blueprint for you guys? Oh, not necessarily a blueprint blueprint daisy but i think it probably opened itself up a little bit on the night and um, we took advantage of it in that sense we know that um richmond like pressure on the ball and pressure on the fire and that must be the ball wobbling um so fortunately that opened up but i also thought that we drove our legs back a fair bit um we used a release option we could fight through the middle of the ground a little bit and we also took ground um when it was important time to take ground in the game as well so uh, yeah, Richmond have been the best team for the last five or six years and no one's been able to combat what they're doing. Um, you know, obviously we were probably a little bit more fired up than they were last night as um, I wasn't there last year, but we lost the grand final to them. So, um, you know, it was a big game for Geelong. Um, maybe it wasn't as big for Richmond and maybe it'll be bigger uh, in September, but hopefully we get the opportunity to take them on then. 
Isaac, Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this morning. I was just going to ask you exactly that. I mean, you've been on both sides of the coin with games like this where you've been the hunter and you've, you've been the hunted, particularly when it's early in the season. Can you see it having any sort of meaningful effect as the season goes on? Uh not a hell of a lot, other than the sense that it puts us in a lot better position than losing last night on the ladder. Um, and it will give us a better opportunity to be in a better spot come the end of the year. And I think, uh, you know, we played many top teams early in the season and probably didn't put our best performance in as years have gone by. But uh, in saying that, if you can, um, you know, put a little bit of mental pressure on a team you're going to come up against later in the year, then uh, you certainly take that opportunity. But there's a long time between, uh, was it round eight or nine last night? Um, and then, you know, round 22. So, uh, yeah, it was nice to get the win. It's nice to be playing good football. Um, but, yeah, I certainly think Richmond will get themselves up and going. And it's been a few months now for you, obviously, since the highly publicised move uh, down the hallway. What's changed for you in terms of perceptions of some of these guys that you're now sharing a, a locker room with that you did battle with for so long? Who might have surprised you? And, you know, have you found, a, a, I guess, a chemistry with all the guys as a new face coming in? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, it's been interesting because, to tell you the truth, I really didn't like too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> they so, mightn't have liked you either, <laughs> Isaac. Well, well, Jared, I don't think they did. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's been uh, really nice. And uh, probably, you know, the big names, the guys that I'd played a lot of footy against um, were the ones that we'd had certain choice words on the field over the years. But uh, it's funny, the guys that seem to uh, maybe pee you off the most on the football field are the guys you gravitate to most when you actually get around them. So in that sense, um, it's been really good and they've been really welcoming. Uh, gelling and chemistry. I think I'm slowly getting there. Um, I obviously can't get in on the, the guts react where they just kick each other the ball and um, probably left seven or eight possessions out there last <laughs> night. But, but slowly, slowly gelling with a few of the boys. And uh, if I can just more than say gelling through the midfield, if I can start to connect with the forwards a little bit better and, mm. um, you know, start to have a bit more impact on score involvement, so that'll make me happy. I don't know who could not like you, Isaac. Even when you're angry at the footy field, you're actually really nice to look at. You look really pleasant at all times. I listen, I listen to uh, Tom. My, my wife doesn't say that all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Tom Stewart last night was very interesting in his interview. He said he said the words, we usually play with a plus one defence. Richmond's half forwards gave us what we want behind the footy. What, what does that mean? Take us into a bit of an insight as to, and was it spoken about during the game? I know you're not down in defence a lot, but did you feel you had the game in control, particularly behind the ball? Uh, yeah, to tell you the truth, uh, Lepo, I don't um, go <laughs> don't down listen. there often, so I'm not, <laughs> not 100% sure what's going on down there. But I think uh, that defence has played together for a long time, and there's a few mainstays down there. So, um, you know, we talk about in footy, uh, and you would have talked about a hell of a lot, that just generating a natural plus one um, off a little bit of drop-off and that Richmond obviously send their balls up to the stoppage a fair bit and, uh, get an advantage there, but um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know if we're in full control there because, um, especially from stoppages and centre bounce, where Richmond really hurt us early on, um, we're having a little bit of trouble. But uh, and I think Richmond have done this really well over the last five years. I think they're uh, more often than not plus ten minutes in their forward half. That when they can do that, it allows your defence to set up really well. Um, and you can sort of hold the ball in your half. And I felt like 
once we were able to do that, we could set up well behind the ball and it gave us a big advantage in the game. What are your early impressions of Jeremy Cameron through three games out there with him? Yeah, it's pretty impressive, isn't it, Jared? I think uh, you'd be pretty excited seeing the big number five run around. But, uh, yeah, he's been, he's been really good. I think uh, not only he's been playing well, but I think the beneficiary is a bloke like Gary Rowan. I think his last three weeks have uh, been pretty special. And in his 150th game last night, kicking five goals and getting off the leash a little bit. And maybe Jeremy won't be the beneficiary uh Certainly, um, teams will be putting a lot of pressure into. Maybe it's the third, fourth, fifth, uh, you know, forward that gets that defender that um, hopefully gets off the leash. But it was pretty impressive to see those big three forwards going to work last night and kicking 15 goals between them. It uh, makes my life pretty easy. Terrific, Isaac. It's great to catch up. Good luck with uh, all that's to come. Well done on what you've laid down so far. No worries, guys. Have a great morning. Isaac Smith with us on Crunch Time. Yeah, he was good, wasn't he? Actually, he, him and Jeremy Cameron look alike a little bit in the same <laughs> jumper. At times, I thought it was the same person a few times when you're looking at it on screen. So they'll meet again in round 19 en route to the finals, where we all expect both to play a role. Now, just for interest's sake, where where does 63 points sit as the biggest win by a losing grand finalist the first time that the, uh, the pairing are in the rematch. And Geelong's is the third best win or turnaround in 124 years. So in 1971, Collingwood belted Carlton by 85 points to exact some measure of whatever it is. In 1952, Geelong turned the tables on Essendon and won by 69 points. And then this uh, sits in behind that as 63 points with um, Geelong belting Richmond. So the middle one's the other way around. Essendon beat Geelong by 69 points in 52. So uh, third biggest win by the the jilted party, yeah. if you like, when next they meet. Indeed. And you've got to go back to August 2016 to find a last stretch of games. where So Richmond have now lost three or four at the MCG, their fortress, of course. So you've got to go back to August 2016 to find a similar win-loss run. And in terms of them suffering big defeats in their premiership years, obviously last year was an asterisk. But prior to that, 67 points. They got done by Geelong in 2019. And in 2017, Leopold will know their premiership year, their breakthrough year, 76 points they were hammered by Adelaide, 67 points they were hammered by St Kilda as well. So let's work back through Richmond in a moment's time. Is what to make of it? So last week was the reset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the, still the team. And what are we to do with last night's result? You're listening to Crunch Time. Thanks to the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Test drive the new Nissan Navara today. And for Red Rooster, seize the cheese. Jared, try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so get in fast. The Rooster's call. It's a very personal question as to how much to read into the events last night as a foreteller of what's to come on the Richmond side of things. So losses to Sydney when they were overwhelmed by a young team. They went head-to-head with Port in a flip-of-the-coin game. They started well against Melbourne, but did get overwhelmed in that game. And then last night, Geelong broke them in the third quarter. It's the stirring second half against the Bulldogs from a week ago, which sits in the in the four. So the against has a few case studies and the four has four years worth of outstanding football in the half against the Bulldogs. Before we let Justin Lepich loose on how he reads the Tigers now, here's a, a longer portion of Damien Hardwick in the post-match press conference. Beating around the contest, it's um, you know, hard to sustain. You know, we, we spoke about you can lose contested ball, but when you lose, you know, pressure... Uh, in and around the contest. I thought their ability to fight through tackles was outstanding. I thought we had them 
then they get get out. Uh, our guys are caught offside, and then they come back through the middle because their guys were, were sort of that side of the contest. So, you know, the game is, is relatively simple when you look at it from, from that point of view. If you, if you get belted around the contest, your pressure has to be good. Our pressure wasn't quite good enough, so they went down and scored a lot of goals from the back end. So, game in a nutshell. You know, these big key forwards are hard to play against when getting such clean ball inside 50. Yeah, sometimes loss of confidence. You know, some aerial contests we could have been better at. Um, you know, some disposal errors in the back half as well. And, you know, sometimes... When that happens, you, you can look a bit rattled, and that was the reality of the situation. You know, Geelong were very, very good, um, and we weren't anywhere near our level of expectation for the second half. So disappointing. Look, Dylan Grimes is obviously a very good player. So is Dion Prestia. So is Kane Lambert. <laughs> so is um, Trent Cochin. Like we've got some quality players out. We still expect to be better than what we were tonight in that second half. You know, Geelong are a very, very good side. You know, we can see the way they go about the game. They've added talent from last year. You know, that Higgins, that guy, Isaac Smith, you had um, Jeremy Cameron. They're three really good players. So they got better again. We've got to catch them. Well, any heavy losses is worrying. There's a, there's a way to lose, and we don't like to lose the way we did tonight. You know, the Sydney game was a long time ago, but, you know, the way we probably, you know, lost and got belled around the contest in the second part of the, uh, the game tonight was incredibly disappointing, as I said previously. We've got no choice. We've just got to get to work. You know, once again, we'll, we'll look at some things that, that Geelong did. They did some things really, really well that we'll take out of the game, and there's some areas that we've certainly got to improve. You know, they're a well-coached, well-drilled outfit that, you know, it's probably the best side I think we've played this year. So that was the assessment of Damien Hardwick. Is, how are you approaching Richmond? This Saturday, Lepper. Oh, look, he's 100% spot on uh, with with everything he's saying. They, but I guess the one thing for Richmond is what has happened in, off the, on their list the last four years for me. You think about a pup. I mean, Jacob Townsend aside, he's a Premiership player. But you've got Conker now, who would be playing in that team. Dan Butler, Oleg Markov, Brandon Ellis, Jack Higgins. Then now the, the list they're going to in at the moment is either a, a Will Martin, uh, Riley Collier Dawkins, um, Jack Ross. Um, and Mansell. So so kids that are really cutting their teeth. So it's a big gap. And you, you talked about the names that Damien mentioned that Geelong have replaced their teams with, their team with, and you think about the kids that now Richmond are playing with. Richmond's best 22 is still pretty good, but she's, they don't have the, the wiggle room they used to have on their list and the depth they used to have on their list. So three, four, five injuries make them look like a, a middle team pretty quickly. Okay, as opposed to what it's done in the last four years. So they, they haven't been a traded team. There's, Tom Lynch has obviously come in the building, but they, they traditionally haven't been a big trade-type uh, team in the off-season. I just wonder whether they're going to add a bit more trading to what they do going forward, trade-out picks, get some mature talent in their building because, as we've spoken about before, they're a couple of years away from still... I mean, those names soon won't even be there, so Koch and Grimes, etc. They're only a couple of years from being retired, so... Then the weight's going to come onto those boys as full-time players. So, and that's how your list can become ordinary quickly. So, I'd be interested to see if they start to do a little bit of what Geelong's done. If you think some of the names they've added in the last four or five years, I mean, Gary Ablett was very good for a short period, but Dalhouse, Rowan, Cameron, Smith, Higgins, those sorts of names make you a little bit deeper on your list and make your, your bottom six or seven players better. And they've also drafted. Like people forget Geelong have still drafted. I mean, you still think in the same period, Parfit, Stewart, Radagalia, Henry, Simpson, Myers, Jordan Clark, Atkins, they've close. They've all come in still in that last four or five year period. So they've even done some good drafting. Even though a lot of them were later picks, they're playing. They're playing regularly in that team. But a lot of Richmond's picks in the last five years, Shea Bolton's in that team, Jack Graham's in that team, Noel Bolter's in that team regularly and Liam Baker. So there's four 
um, that you'd say in the last five years. And you can argue Jake Arts is now a, a part of that team. So there's four or five regular kids that have come in over five drafts. So that's not a big number. It's not enough number in the team of 18 players on a footy field to replace. And are they of the level that we've spoken about before, Jared? Look at who Gold Coast have taken in that time. So those names, those young boys, will now be very soon when they're mature players competing against Rankin, Lacocious, Anderson, Rao, Bowes, um, Ben King, Ainsworth. So it's a big gap in talent. So eventually that's how teams get above you on the ladder is just through that. So I'll be very interested to see my, my deep dive on Richmond's more about the long-term, not the current list. I yep. think their current list, when they're all back and fit, will compete against Geelong better next time. And Damien's a terrific coach on the rebound. So he'll be able to grab that group and respond in kind. So I've got no worries about the week-to-week cycle of Richmond. The, the worry about the week-to-week is they're up and down like a yo-yo because of the kids they've had to play now. And kids, you get a good week and a bad week. So they're doing the up-and-down cycle because of their current list position. But if, as I said before, if Conker, Butler, Townsend, Markov, Ellis, Higgins are there, they probably are a bit more competitive last night and don't get the schoolboy mistakes. Geelong aren't allowed, as Damien mentioned, drive through the front of the stoppage and they will get tackled. They will get taken to ground if it's Jacob Townsend there, if it's Reese Conker there, a mature body there. But their kids sort of filling those roles. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective to add to it. So the other question, I'm sure the week is going to be spent talking about hunger which we saw graphically in the second half a week ago. And then it was nearly the white flag in the third quarter last night, which was um, which was not what we're used to from Richmond. Where, where do we sit in the longevity? Is This is the journey of long-term greatness. And we have recent examples of it. Lions, Hawks, Cats, and now we're living it with the Tigers. Well, I guess you can't do it forever, but I, I do have good trust in the Tigers to, to manage it. I mean, they've they've um, been at the forefront of really tipping in and investing in that mental side of the game through the work that they do with Emma Murray, which is well documented. They, they don't – I don't suspect they'd be sitting there hoping that complacency and a drop-off in hunger doesn't come and, and kind of just ignoring that it might. I, I think they'd be actively – addressing it and and doing things week to week to to buffer that from the players and 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 making sure that doesn't happen so I mean their success can't last forever that's just not what happens in sport so it will come but I I I don't think I'd put it down to a a lack of hunger that's going to see them fall away it might be more what Leper's talking about that in this system that's set up for turnover and equalization it might be something else that gets them but I have trust in their ability to to really upskill themselves in that mental and emotional side of the game. We've seen it over the last three or four years. Why wouldn't they be combating it now? You're right, and that, that's what they do elite is they take – and look, where you rate the mental and psychological space of footy, does it take you from 90% to 100% or, or does it take you 50 to 100 It's very difficult, but at the end of the day, it's probably a combination of all of it. But all I know is if you've got a young, young inexperienced body against a mature body, I don't care how much mental work you've done in the years, that, that player's got 15 years of mental resilience versus a player that's got two years of mental resilience a year of understanding psychology isn't going to be enough for you to win that particular battle on that particular day. It takes years of mental training to get to that level as well. So should they have fought harder to keep with hindsight? Higgins, Ellis, Markov, Conker, the list goes on. Or is this the unwinnable war for a team that's continuing? Yeah, it's the unwinnable war. It's the salary cap. It's the, I've got to pay Dustin, I've got to pay Lynchy, Jack, Koch. And that's why that management... 
I'm looking at it, it's more of a list management component of where they will reconsider what they do. Do they? You think about three years ago, they bought in Dion Nankervis and Caddy. That was the biggest trade haul. I think it was two sixteen off season that Richmond's had, and only really since then I think Tom Lynch has come in. So they haven't been overly acted in the trade space, and and they haven't been able to probably from their salary cap restricting. It's just going to be whether now, as they move on a bit, will they do what Hawthorne have done? Will they target a Jaeger O'Meara type player? Will they start to rejuvenate their list from players from other clubs to have a slightly different strategy? Throughout the season, we'll be counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy, refreshing ale. Unbelievable. Shea Bolton's going to be one of those. Best mark you ever saw live? That has to be it. <laughs> I saw it last night. Furphy refreshing ale, unbelievable. You're listening to Crunch Time. We'll broaden out into the crunch next. It is an intriguing round. Collingwood has a big part in the conversation. Long-term contracts, the stars of the game, what to do long-term. It's all on the table. Jared Whaley, Justin Lippich, Daisy Pearce and Sam Edmund with you on Crunch Time this Saturday. And we are gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures Big or small. We're through our work with Richmond and Geelong. The first to go is intriguing in its own right today. The Suns and the Saints. There's the Giants and the Bombers. For the Ghouls, there's North Melbourne and Collingwood. Melbourne and Sydney go to work in a top-end clash. And then the showdown, which regardless of where they are, has such a storied history. So we stretch out into the, the big topics at the big topics in footy right now. A lot of it is is contracts. Let, let's start with Zach Merritt, Sam, who's done a feature piece with Robbo in today's Herald Sun. Loved it. The self-confidence for Zach Merritt to speak honestly, and he, he's put some real trust in Robbo there, and Robbo hasn't let him down. It's a great piece. Ultimately, the line that jumps off the page from Zach Merritt is, I haven't made up my mind yet. I definitely have not made a decision. So he's obviously the most in-demand restricted free agent. The Bont's going to re-sign Cripps will too. Max Gorn already has. Dylan Grimes already has. He wants stability, as he points out. Five coaches in his first six or seven years at, at Essendon. And last year was a mess at the Bombers. The John Worsfold's player empowerment model didn't work. It went belly up. The players actually wanted the guidance that wasn't there. And that was the overwhelming feedback for the review that Paul Brasher came through with the broom with. So there's clarity now. There's alignment. There's a clear line of hierarchy. They've reconnected to the past. They've embraced their rich history. They've decorated the hangar, storied images, and even watched old highlight videos of yesteryear. And best of all, though, there's a real optimism about the next-gen players they've brought in. So acknowledging that these things can go either way and hearing that the player himself obviously hasn't made up his mind, I think Essendon have every right to be as confident as they possibly can be that Zach Merritt will stay. And I think if you're a betting person, Zach Merritt does stay. His problems or concerns with the club, a large percentage of those were off-field, have been fixed. The on-field will follow and people around him say he's as happy as he's been for some time and he's connected with the younger guys like he's never been before by his own admission. And it's fueling him as much as it's fueling these young players they're brought in. So loved it as a piece. And he did say to Robbo, I didn't feel like we were aligned as a club. The players aren't stupid. Well, that's definitely come 180 degrees. His holding statement is, I haven't made up my mind, which I really like about him. So it's, it's so straightforward the way that he talks about it. And I'm with you, Sam, is you take great reassurance if you're an Essendon fan, if you're that straight up and down about it when the time yep. comes. The idea of alignment and that players know. So I think we're getting... We're getting a really clear, real-time example of this at Collingwood. There's no fooling people. It is you have your, your six or seven disastrous months where progressively each person is losing their job who had authority in it. And the complete lack of alignment between 
the, the top office and the administration and the football department is you can't fudge it. Players, they live the environment. They know, and it does have an impact. Yeah, Lee Matthews used to say, if you sense it, there's a good chance somebody else is and everyone else is around you. So that was a, it's a really good thing to live by because sometimes we do that, we feel that, and we wonder whether is anyone else doing it, but there's a, there's a good chance. And then, look, it's very easy nowadays in our modern-day um, workplace. We have HR. You can also, you know, just survey your staff, you can survey your players and get real-time feedback. It's actually easier now. We don't have to guess anymore if you're a proactive sort of organisation. Um, so that you've got those options as well to to ask that um, as opposed to just go on gut feel and think, oh, yeah, no, I think we're all pretty good. Well, sometimes that's not enough and that's what can get you unstuck. The Collingwood example is, is live and happening in front of us. So the first to go was Jeff Walsh, the GM of footy in the immediate aftermath of the disastrous trade period. He retired. Then the president went after the Do Better report. Ned Guy, who's the, the list manager, so the architect of, of all of their list decisions from the Beams recruitment to the fire sale, which transpired, he lost all public confidence when he wasn't able to explain satisfactorily what they were doing and... and tried some sort of obfuscation which blew up in the very moment that he was saying the words. The questions now, so the chief executive remains and the coach remains. Sometimes a scenario is so bad where everybody ends up losing their jobs. Is is that enough or is there more to come? And then how much swings on on this afternoon? So this clearly Jeff Brown is putting together an alternate board. Mick Warner's pieces make that absolutely clear and there's a few different ways that this can happen. It can be a bloodless coup. They could go to the annual general meeting but it might be too late with all the decisions made or they could force a vote. And it's a vote that I think any... Well, this this different ticket would win um, handsomely because the Collingwood constituency is off what's going on at their club at the moment. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming, Leper. Absolutely, it's coming. And so it mix right across it, as you pointed out, Jared. So will it be bloodless? Will it be bloody? There's a few options at, uh, at uh, I guess, Jeff Brown's camp's disposal there, other than the, to say that it's definitely coming in some way, shape or form. And and Mark Corder, obviously, as the, the president now, how long will he remain? So, so Ned Guy gone, as you say, Walsh gone, Eddie gone, Buckley and Anderson, the only pillars left. And we don't like to tie these things into the results from week to week, but it is hard to get past the fact that they're lining up against North Melbourne this weekend and what a loss would signify, especially for the coach going forward. It's hard not to not to imagine a defeat, perhaps leading to something a little bit more significant, obviously a lot earlier than what Colin would, would like it to be given the timeline. Yeah, so if, if you're the rebel force, if you're the yeah. challenger, you, you go currency. at the moment when it's most combustible and it'll be most combustible at 7.30 tonight if it goes the wrong way. Now, if Collingwood play the way they should and win by 60 or 80 points, then everything gets pushed down the road. But there, there's there's a lot that hinges on what happens this afternoon on the field. It doesn't resolve the rest of it, but it could absolutely bring it to the to its peak. You can't underestimate that the off-field is related to the on. Um, just just being a football as long as I have, and I've, I, I lived it as a, a senior coach where the off-field wasn't as united uh, and it does seep down to the players. Uh, I saw it through a merger through uh, Brisbane and Fitzroy and we had end up from seven board members one day, then we've got 13 and you've got players coming up saying, this isn't a merger, this is a takeover and th- this is happening in the change room. So, what happens off the field can seep through in it, but the quickest thing that can happen is get reunited. This can this can be a good thing for Collingwood. Richmond in 2016 went through a very similar thing. 
you know, there was calls to get rid of the coach and then there was a, a coup starting to happen. They quickly got shuffled out the way and things got reunited and the rest is history. So it can be a good thing for a footy club as well. But the most important thing you've got to do is unite everyone. If you're not on the united front, you've just got to leave and do the what's right. Because the worst thing that happens next is you lose good players. That's the last, that's the last step is the players go, okay, I'm sick of it's a bit like your parents going through a divorce. Your kids can play up a little bit. It's like they're like, I'm getting sick of this, I'm leaving home. They'll they'll get and that's the last thing that can happen. That's when the the supporters will get really disappointed if they can't sort it out off the field and then good players start walking out the door. That that would be a real nightmare. The most interesting paragraph that was written in the Ned Guy departure was in Mick Gleason's piece and it it took us back to Dane Beams, and this is the starting point, two first round picks there to the fire sale. So you can take that as your list management period. Um, Mick wrote, the deal was done on the basis that Beams was a top 10 midfield talent in the league coming into a side that was a kick off a premiership, but also with significant pressure from the board to bring the former Magpie premiership player back to the club from Brisbane. Now there is an element of who done it in the Beams case, and you don't have to search far to know that it wasn't the coach who done it. Uh, and it stretches up a little bit further than that. And that suggests that it was the board. And the board at the time is defined by one central figure. It's hard to read that paragraph any other way than Eddie Maguire wanted Dane Beams back at the club. And that's what they did. Well, there was a number of problems, a number of poor decisions. And hindsight is our is our friend here, admittedly, Jared. But Ned Guy isn't the architect of all the problems. He inherited a lot of them. But then, as a lot of people point out, they've been willing to sign Brody Grundy to a seven-year deal times $7 million as well. And the ripple effect of what that would do when they signed Jordan Degoe for two years at seven fifty, Darcy Moore as well, two years on, on big money as well. So there's a, a lot of money tied up in a, in a small pool of players at Collingwood and what that might mean going forward as well. Now we've got Jordan Degoe coming out of contract again shortly. What happens there? So Ned Guy's not not the, the, the lone ranger in the decisions, but uh, he, as the list manager... Uh, and the explanation of the decisions that were made just never cut the mustard. So on the field today is Darcy Moore is returning to defence. They don't have the luxury of mucking around with an idea that that is not working and deprives you of an asset. Both you, um, Daisy and Lepper, have been on the Rob Peter to pay Paul equation and the equation just didn't make sense. Well, no, and Buckley said during the week when under pressure and playing the way they are, you go back to what you know and they have built their recent success off sound defence and Darcy Moore's been a big part of that. So they just can't afford to have him forward at the moment. They need to stop the bleeding there. And we saw last week he just didn't have an impact forward. So you certainly can't afford to leave him up there if he's not impacting. I thought they, they missed the opportunity to send him back last week. They needed almost to admit quicker in game that it wasn't working and make the move and might have been able to save that game. Interestingly, the week before, they did make the move at halftime, didn't they, and sent him back, and they identified the game was moving away. So it is hard in the coach's box sometimes. You think, well, what is the best move? Um, but as we both agree, I think you, you have your best asset, put him where he's best play. We're sort of having a bit of a discussion. What do you do to, with Dustin Martin? If you've got a lot, lot more kids now, now do you play more full-time midfield? Well, hang on. His best asset is play centre square or play stoppage and move forward and get bang for buck. You, the minute you start now changing his role, if Richmond started, then you're really starting to 
you know, clutch its straws a little bit. So I'm, I'm glad they've made the move to go back. But as Bucks might be right, he said that he did say that's the least of our problems. So maybe he's right. Maybe they'll go back and they've still got some other issues to, to fight. But we'll find out today. Jordan DeGoey. So there was uh, Pete Ryan's report on the back page of the age with Tom Morris came in behind that there were confrontations from the senior players demanding more of him. Uh, Taylor Adams disputed that. And then Nathan Buckley said it was riddled with inaccuracies the way that uh, it was reported is watching Dugowie last week days is you, the one out you could give him is that he was still coming off his concussion. If we take it that he was fully fit, I would hope there was words said to him from senior players, the way that uh, he didn't compete for them last week. Yeah. And not just him alone. And maybe that is one of the inaccuracy that the article was riddled with is those conversations happen all the time off the back of a really disappointing outing like that. And given that their last couple of weeks, I mean, those you have those conversations, you get amongst the group and you want to be able to have honest chats as a leadership group and as a senior player to be able to demand more from him. And the one thing but he wouldn't can, have been alone. Yeah, and you can't underestimate that comment about the concussion. I, I've I'd seen first-hand players the week after their concussion come back not be... A hundred percent, and and just and you only have to be two percent off. You think about it, if it'll be really clean in a fast game of football, fumbling is only just a split second thing, and you only have to be a split second off to fumble. Then you have to pick the ball up again, and then you know it, it only doesn't take much. And he did look at times that when he was pushed away easy from Lemons, I was like, that's really unlike him. Like mm. I'm not saying Sean Lemons is, is is not a bold key defender, but it, I thought just given the two talents, he should have put up a bit of a better showing. So those things can make sense when in hindsight you see if someone's a little off and they're losing their feet there, there might be still a little bit of that there and I mean the counter to that is that his form up until that point that's, hadn't yeah, been that's right great either but he is playing predominantly forward in a side that's really struggling to move the ball and and give that supply mm. is to go with the asset to ponder trading <laughs> that's the question yeah. Yeah, well, well, I think in our game, one thing we do tend to do is we put good players on long-term contracts and we don't trade. Very rarely we do it. Um, I know Hawks are one team that are a little bit more vibrant in, in sort of trading um, better younger talent to get, you know, as with the Wingard situation, to get Chad Wingard back. Who do they give up for that? I can Burton. Burton, yeah, a really good top top 10 pick to get that. We don't see that too often in our game, but it's something that happens a lot in America because they know everyone does it. So if you get, so let's say we do the Dugowie trade and we get it wrong. He goes to Melbourne, becomes a fantastic player. Well, they go, well, what's the worst case scenario? We've freed up some cap space. Now we'll go recruit someone else from another club. So with with the fact that we can only trade for two weeks of a whole season, it's such a big, like I feel for list managers because they've got such a small window and if they get it wrong, they're paying for years for it. So I think it's really it's really difficult to make those big decisions because it takes you so long to fix up your mistake if you're an off-field uh, member of the staff. Something's going to have to give, though, because they got that big points deficit to get Nick Dacos in should a bid come early for Nick Dacos. So far, something like 800, 850 points. So without getting into the nitty-gritty, that's a sizable gap. So something's going to have to come, whether they trade an established player, I'm not saying it's to go, or whether they go into deficit, which is almost mm. inconceivable the following year, given the difference that would make with, for their first-round picks. So they're going to have to do something creative in there. Well, I guess the question is, are we getting the most out of him? And what are the factors? If the answer is no, why aren't we getting what, what his potential out of him? And, and depending on the answers to that, well, then you may have to risk letting go of him and seeing him have an impact at another club 
but you might have to accept that it's a win-win for both. He goes somewhere else and becomes better than he's been, but but you get something and back yourself in to to get real value from that player. So the long-term contract is, and the Christian Petrarca story is the is the latest, and then Marcus Bontempelli will be the next one as to tenure. Philosophically, where are you on seven-year-plus contracts? Oh, you should only have one in your club if you're going to do it. Um, I, I thought the Bontempelli was pretty. Uh, sorry, the um, Petraka. Petraka one was pretty cheap, to be honest. Cheap? Uh, like, yeah, I thought so. I, I, when I would see these deals before, often it's either at the level or a bit above, and eventually what happens is you become cheap in the se- sixth, seventh year. I think it's actually almost market value now um, to where he's at. So what does that mean? If you look back to the Alistair Lynch deal, which is a 10-year deal, $200,000. He was the highest paid player at the time, which yeah. Petraka's almost looking at that. Um, and then it's it not only was he he was actually almost half of the actual average AFL wage by the end. Paul Paul Lynchy at the end, he, he by the when the player average salary goes up, we get out of COVID. All those sorts of things may happen. Now they might have a contract that aligns up with the COVID changes going forward. But I, I think in in year six or seven, we'll think that's pretty average mon- money for a gun mid. But mm. right now it's good money, absolutely. But down the track, we've seen it many times. It actually becomes quite good money. I think that. Well, I know Kane Corns Corns was strong on it during the week. The risk isn't with how much they're paying. His suggestion is the length of the deal. But I think some have haven't worked, and and others have. And Melbourne, I think, have seen a player that's come in and developed. It's not just by fluke that he's had a good season in the last couple of years. He's really invested in his um, off field. He's matured as a person and player. So they'd have great trust that. This is a guy that they can rely on in the long term. And, I mean, the, the Dustin Martin deal is one that has worked for the Tigers. Um, and it's uncanny almost the similarities between the, the two players. I mean, Dustin Martin wasn't a three-time Norm Smith medalist and premiership player when they signed that deal. He was a, about to win his second best and fairest at the club. He'd won the All-Australian the year before, third in the Brownlow the year before. So... They're tracking a, a very similar path. Melbourne would feel like they're in a window coming up. So, yeah, they, they can afford to, to tip into this guy to keep him there and, and, yeah, run the risk that something may happen along the way. But do you, do you not sign that deal in fear of something going wrong when you have so much? It's a lot of faith. Yeah, but, but you've got to also – you've got to realise also is like let's go to the one I've, I know probably a bit more, which is the Beams one when it came to Brisbane. Um, there was a lot of cap space at the front. So when Dane was coming to the back end of that deal, he was actually on almost AFL average wages. Like, it was really not much. Cause, so if Melbourne were able to structure it up, yeah, okay, it's the seven years. But if the seventh year they're only paying him a very small portion of that wage, it, it actually, for your long-term, you're not killing your long-term list management either. They're the things Melbourne will know that we don't know. If they're back-ending this, which is what happened when I played. So we had three of us on five-year deals. I say we should only have one. Myself, Chris Scott... And Vossi were all on five-year deals, all back-ended, or a lot of us were, and none of us got to our fifth year. <laughs> so that's when you get to a lot of lot of danger. And Brisbane were looking like busting the caps. So I think they were half glad when we retired, Vossi and myself. And I think Chris stuck around for the money classic. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but that's when you get yourself in trouble when you're heavily back-end two or three guys on those sort of deals. 
that's the danger. But if you front in one guy on a long-term deal, I don't see the problem with it. So that's the intricacies of what happens behind closed doors that yeah. we only saw the seven years and the money, but it's not like it's going to be the same money every year. Or maybe it is. Maybe you structured it up that way. But the, the the devil's in the detail with these sort of long-term deals. And, and it's been a signing spree, sorry, Days, hasn't it? So Gorn's re-signed, Viney's re-signed, Oliver's re-signed. So there's some big deals for their start nucleus there. So maybe there has been some moving of the, the chess pieces to make it all make it all sing. Salem five years followed by yep. uh, seven years Petrarca, which is which doesn't even start until uh, twenty twenty three. And James Harms, who returns this weekend, he's got a long term deal as well. So you'd think come the end of the year there'll be some drop off from Melbourne, but more perhaps your role player variety sort of uh, operator, if you like, that that falls out and they they do it that way because they've certainly been on a spree the last sort of mm. twelve months. They've re-signed their star core, so good on them. Yeah, They're so they've shored up their run at it. Yep. So. Uh, Jared Healy made the point last night is it's fine as long as no one drops out immediately. So if Sam Wiedemann dropped out because you tied all the money up. Well, he's the big watch. Yeah. Yeah. Then you'd want to have won it before you start to lose players as they are set up for their attack run. It's smart. I, I think it's good strategy, to be honest. So you know who you're getting. You're not getting, you're not getting competitors come trying to cherry pick you on the way through. Uh, in fact, I'd double down and go 10-year for Cozzy right now. <laughs> he is my favourite player, so I'd sign him up now, get him right through. Very good. I am interested in the player motivation to be locked away to the end of 2029. Yeah. I think over 25, it's fine. You don't have that. But definitely in the, the front half of your career, I was only joking about the picket thing, but very dangerous to deal with a 21, 22-year-old when they haven't got their work rate in order yet and they don't have an under... After that age of 25... You don't care. You just want to win it. You know you're in the back half of your career. It's about you. It's about your pride as much as it's about your income. But it's a show of faith from the player, as you're alluding to, Jared, to the club as much as it is the other way for Christian Petraka. Okay, they had a great year in 2018. Blown off the park, though, in the prelim. They haven't played good football since then. He is at an age where now he wants to obviously win a premiership. That's his sole driving factor. So he's put some real faith in Melbourne that what he's seeing at the moment is for the long term as well. They're not going to nosedive. Yeah. Well, you look at the the other list signings they've had. He can look around and go, oh, well, this will be the, my core group for the next five years just about. So that gives him stability. He knows what he's getting. It has turned so quickly because you go back to preseason. Simon Goodwin is the most under... Uh, under the pump coach in the business and there was a string of players out of contract just waiting to see what was going to happen yep. in the first make no mistake about it especially Clayton Oliver Petraka as well casting forward so they've liked what they've seen and it's just come a complete 180 degree it's been yep. fantastic so Petraka's faith is in Melbourne winning the flag in in his time but probably really in the next three to four years with what they've set up and then Melbourne are saying to Petraka, we'll go, go on and win the Brownlow and win the Norma Smith mm. and be the player. And somewhere in there is if the expectations are met, then it was it's a triumph. And if they're not, then you, you make your assessments along the way. He strikes me as if you're going to give one player the long-term deal there, it's him. And the same at the Dogs. Bontempelli is a bit of a no-brainer to me. Whether five, six, seven, choose your number. And Bontempelli is smart enough to go, he's the... Um, if I take all the money, then this is the impact of it. So do I want to be a premiership captain or not? Is yes, I'll take my long-term security. And the dogs go, okay, so this is what it looks like, Marcus. How do we, do we want to go about winning it here? Then you're going to have to leave a little bit of money on the table. And then you've got a situation at Carlton where the Blues are probably getting Harry McCoy to sit down and say, we need to sign you for this length of time. And he's probably thinking, well, maybe not at my age and the way things are going. I might be a little bit more circumspect, circumspect as well. And this is why you can't just line up all the long deals we've seen and say, broad sweeping, they work or they don't. Because there's so much intricacy in each individual circumstance that 
somewhat dictates whether it's going to work or not, be it the cap situation, be it where a team's at in their development and why they want to sign a long-term deal. Is it a, a Hail Mary to try and save face? Oh, we're under pressure and we need to, um, you know, sell a bit of stability and buy in and sign, I think it was Rory Sloan, under real pressure at Adelaide um, in recent years when he signed a big deal or the GWS scenario where you've got players leaving out the, the door and you need to you need to lock mm. someone away to build around. So there's so many different individual circumstances in all the big deals you've seen. You can't look at a Petraka deal and go, oh, no, they're dangerous. The, the Giants one is the one where you, there's just too much um, contained in too few from Whitfield through Cornelio through Kelly. Um, that's the, you say, one at a time and, and they've got, They've got, and they've added years to green, which I suspect is actually more about money management. Oh, smoothing it out. For yeah, sure. it has yeah. to be. They're under the they're under the pump up there. And Josh Kelly's such an interesting. Well, it's one. Such eight an by absurd eight. contract. Well, the, the trigger sits now to have eight years, eight million dollars. Yeah, look, that, that were that was at a different time, obviously, when they were fighting to keep a hold of their nucleus, and people were interstate clubs were coming for them hard to try to get them to come home. They were in, right in the premiership window, of course, so you can sort of see. The motivation, and that, that trigger contract is the same that applies to Andrew Gaff, and that same management company managed Christian Petraka, funnily enough. So I thought we might have seen a trigger with Christian Petraka, but it's really for those, you know, go-home sort of players, quote-unquote, that those deals have been struck for. But that one now, you do worry about what that looks like should he take it up, and surely he does let the players leave for that sort of contract, let alone... Oh, be careful what you wish for. I mean, often when you take too much of the cap space, too much yeah. of a percentage of cap space, who are you going to be left playing with? Yep. Because if, if all of a sudden he's created a deal that all of a sudden Lockie Whitfield can't have another signature, one of their, another one of their gun young players who they've invested five years with, another one that goes to a Melbourne club, like we've seen countless times at that footy club, you, then you start to lose your culture. Yeah. So awesome you've collected your paycheck, but you, you're only going to sit middle to bottom of the ladder. So for players out there, be careful. It's awesome to say, hey, good was that? I earned that level of money. But really, remember it comes at a cost every dollar you earn. Most people sign for less to be in good teams, not sign for more. So there's a reason for that because you have more good players in your team. And then you have to earn your money. And this is the problem with Kelly is um, he just hasn't lived up to it for the moment. So he's got eight years to live up to it after this year. But those watching him very closely from other camps will tell you, Jared, he's being played out of position at the moment. And that's why they think they can get him, of course. Oh, <laughs> what the you... intrigue. Oh, <laughs> Not at the money. <laughs> Not at the money. Uh, this afternoon, first to goes at the Gold Coast, the Suns. And the Saints uh, and the Kings are part of this. And then in the twilight, the Nobles are part of the Kangas and the Pies. So on, on uh, the weekend that features Mother's Day, they're beautiful features as as part of the games that are coming. We'll take you to those uh, more issues in the game. The COVID complications being confronted at the moment. What would it have looked like if the Swans' assistants hadn't made it? We'll find out from Leopard just the true value of the role that he used to hold. That was all for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small, mobile living made easy. Dometic, you're listening to Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. The topics of the week, the crunch for Bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service. Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Jared Waitley, Justin Lepich, Daisy Pearce and Sam Edmund with you ahead of our Saturday of footy. It's another week that's had its COVID complications. The Dockers will be playing tomorrow in Brisbane rather than at home. This, if everybody had waited, it might have panned out differently. But 
Who would know these days in the Swans for a little while were going to be without most of their coaches, but that resolved itself, Sam, along the way as well. It did. Actually, if the Dockers stayed put, they could have played in front of a 75% capacity, but we don't know, do we? We know how quickly it moves, especially in that part of Australia. They'll snap that border shut like nobody's business. Actually, this week the AFL relocated a group of its West Australian-based umpires, which was curious, to Adelaide and Melbourne. So the obvious assumption there is, well, what are the AFL thinking of the situation in Perth? But they tell me it's not the first time they've done it. It doesn't mean Perth won't be hosting the West Coast Adelaide game next Sunday. The situation has improved there. It's just such a fast-moving scenario that the AFL just want to spread their officials around the country, I guess, to protect themselves against, you know, the worst-case scenario, and that is Queensland closing to WA and WA closing to Queensland. And we know how quickly that can happen. At the assistant coaches, they made it. They have passed their tests and they are able to go to the MCG tonight from the Swans' perspective. Leper, what would it have looked like if the five-man coaching panel had three who weren't allowed to be in the box? Probably no different. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the Cleveland Browns who ended up beating Pittsburgh with the senior coach not even there in the final last year? So there you go. The head coach wasn't even there, and they won their first final ever in whatever, 20, 30 years. So there you go. It shows how important we actually are on game day, doesn't it? But um, you'd make do. The most important thing is you have your your best players out there. AFL is basically a system-based game more than a strategy-based game, which kind of is amazing that happened in the NFL, which is more of a strategy-based game. Anytime there's a stoppage in play, you can implement some strategy. But otherwise, a bit like soccer, it's a system. You know, you roll a system back and forth and, and go against your other system. So um, so on game day, there's only some limited things you can do and some limited levers you can do because you're pretty much, you know, running a strategy that just runs back and forth all day long. So we got to look at a video from the grand final from the coaches' boxes during yes. the week. You saw on it got AFL. yelled at a lot. Is that <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> there, there were interesting elements. When um, I loved it when Hardwick went, uh, uh, Asprey's playing on Thingo, and it turned out that Thingo was Hawkins, sort of in in my own mind, sort of a central figure yeah. in the game. <laughs> Leper, fix this. Yeah. So the the questions were coming to you, Leper. What can we do about this? So he could identify a problem. And then clearly it was your job to provide him with solutions so he could choose one. Just yeah. to give us the dynamic. I'm glad they cut it off before you said idiot. So, <laughs> um, look, so what happens so in a game, um, so if I'm sitting there as assistant coach, you've got the computer in front of you, you've got the live vision going on. I also run our defensive, or did run the Richmond defensive 50 transition. So we've spoken about this a little bit. So when the opposition grab the ball from one end of the ground, which is Richmond's forward line, and take it to the other end of the ground. So I also have to watch where these chains break down. And we spoke about how Geelong kicked eight goals, one from their defensive 50. So it would have been a really busy boy watching team-based um, stuff last night and wondering why is this breaking down through there. So you've got that team-based stuff, but also at times your own defender or whatever is not going well or an injury, or you might be on the phone to, to some as well. So the first call, you, you hear Dimmer say a lot, you know, Leper or Kingers because he needs your attention because you're, you're doing one of three or four things potentially at that point in time. So um, I think the, the, a lot of it was about matchups, particularly in the grand final, because you're right, we lost uh, at that point in time. Ash, um, lost, lost, lost an early um, Bash's calf and then Brody at a stage was, um, you know, we, we didn't quite know whether was it a head knock, was it just a, a clash in the contest? So they, they, he was off for a few seconds as well so we had a lot of magnet moving in fact at half time was the only time I think ever I never addressed the backs group because we spent the whole time at the magnet board working out 
should, who should Bolter go to the ruck? Should Asprey stay? Which of the wingers do we bring back? Then who's the rotator in that that role as well? So um, we spent a lot of time with the backs and the, and the particular magnets and how that would permeate that particular day. So I think the stuff you saw on the vision was more about the defenders and how we can make that operate on the day. How much was left on the cutting room floor though, Leper? Oh, lots. Yeah, a lot of a lot of this, a lot the of best the, stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the adjectives were taken out. So. <laughs> so when he's asking you about uh, Bolter and Asprey, yep. and then he was also asking about we, we've got um, the the 3v1 on the fat side. So there was a – he didn't – he was worried about Stuart as the loose from the start. No, he that's wasn't the, the loose, Jared. He was the nude. This is <laughs> the, the term that I <laughs> <a> nude <laughs> out the back. I said, well, it's Helen D'Amico out there. <laughs> oh, I love that. So oh. that's the other – do you give him one solution? Or so how do you approach it? How did, what did you give him on Bolter Asprey when he asked? Okay, so, so that particular one was um, – so David Asprey missed a lot of last season. So there wasn't a lot of games where it was Bolter, Asprey and Grimes together. And you can look look a little heavier at that part of the ground. So And Geelong were a little bit more nimble in that part of the ground. So um, And with Nick going out, you actually become a little bit heavier again, you know, because you don't lose one of the bigger players. So um, there was a discussion for pretty much the whole of the first half was which way we want to go about it. End up rucking Asprey and keeping Bolter on the Hawkins matchup. Um, and Noah just looked a little shaky. Now, Noah was such an important player through the whole season and developed and grew, but you're like, this isn't the game to, you know, develop a player. This is a, you've got one half a foot, you've got to make one call. And, and Noah, when he's gone in second ruck, has been bouncy and lively. And he just started to, just with his body language. And this is where young players have got to understand. You, you see them and you can sort of pick when the body language starts to drop a little. So the call was made pretty much at half time directly to Noah to be the second ruck and Dave to take the Hawkins matchup, get the experience in the back half, lost some experience, and then put Noah full-time as that second ruck with Nan Curvis to go forward, which he, which he did really well. So, yeah, so there was a lot of that. There's, you know, early in that game, uh, the foam were flying everywhere, had the vision going, Dimmer yelling at one corner. So there was a lot going on early. So if we were privy to Richmond's coach's box vision throughout the entirety of last season, would that one have been the most hectic? Oh, yeah, I've, I've had games. Oh. Well, I've had games where it's literally grab a coffee and sit and watch <laughs> and enjoy the, enjoy the show yeah. because um, everything's on top. There's, there's nothing really going wrong. Um, and often, particularly being the back half, the t- opposition's not scoring from their end. You're winning clearance, you're going forward, and you're either kicking goals or holding them in that part of the ground. So it's actually quite quite an easy day. So, um, but yeah, there's other games like that where it's all it's all happening. Those easy games are the ones, as you know, Jared, where uh, Bomber Thompson would get the big baguette out. Yes, just punch away right. on those. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Good times. So, how decisive do you have to be? And then, I guess, how thick-skinned do you have to be? Because you know, we want answers now. Put yeah. them forward and then see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It's not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll cop a little bit on the way through. But having to live the, the role of a senior coach, that's water off a duck's back for me. Others are a little bit more sensitive in that particular part. So you, you can't be overly sensitive on, on game day, unfortunately. You've got to be really solution. It's very hard to give your love solutions and everything to a guy that's actually yelling at you. Yes. It's sort of opposite in, in nature, but that's what you have to do um, and, and give it your best. So that that's really what – and Dim, and Dim is really good. I mean, he – like all coaches, goes a bit over the top and goes crazy in the box because that's just the nature. It should write a passage as a senior coach to act yep. like that, really. Um, but, yeah, so but as long as, you know, and most of the time when Dimmer mentions it, you're often sometimes already over it. You've already watched it. You know, you're looking behind the ball anyway. So he's got to watch three lines. I'm watching one and a half. So I've already most of the time seen it and already half onto that job anyway. Um, so it's not like they, they catch you by surprise and seeing something because you're already watching that line closely. 
the dynamic around Jamara Hagen as the number one draft pick, and he's not ready. There's been listening to Luke Beveridge. It's really interesting. So he's at the point where he doesn't really want to talk about it because to talk about it is to to demonstrate why Jamara's not playing, and that doesn't do much for a young man. And it, as he said, it doesn't do much for our relationship. It's interesting is the last two number one draft. So the number one draft pick is a special case. It's pointless railing against that. They just are. They always have been. The last two who have walked into footy, Matt Rowe was a man-child and Sam Walsh was as ready as as ready can be. There was no debate debate around Jamara being the number one draft pick. But it is interesting that he doesn't have that level of professionalism and readiness to be out on the field, admittedly in a good team. The, uh, this is I find this so interesting. I have no doubt Luke Beveridge is laying the foundations for a long career, and he's going to make him earn it and knock the edges off before he gets the sugar hit of playing. Yeah, well, there's always going to be interest and curiosity, like you say, with the number one draft pick. But is there any shame in the fact that he's not ready? Probably not. He's a part of the majority, as you as you say. Uh, the, the most recent ones are probably outliers. And, and the luxury beverage has is that they're a team that are six and one with a pretty well-functioning forward line in Norton, Bruce and English. They don't have to rush him. And we've seen rushing number one draft picks because of circumstances at the club fail. And it, it's it, it's taken years or an entire career to kind of make that back up. So whilst he will continue to be asked the question every single week, I think it's a luxury that he has. The other thing that's in it is it it enables you to really put your stake in the ground about what you value as a footy club. That Yeah, we are going to play McNeil and Scott and Buku and Karmas ahead of this number one draft pick with all the talent in the world and we know he's going to be a good player because of what they're bringing in, in the other sense of the game, their competitiveness, their work rate the things that we really value as a footy club, that's mm. what we're putting forward and putting out there. So usually the number one pick goes to the destitute club. The last number one pick who ended up at a, at a finalist was Luke Hodge in 2001, and he played in round five, and he played 15 games for the season. So I had a twofold question here. If Jamara Hagen had gone to the wooden spooner in Adelaide, do you think he would have played in the first eight rounds? Probably, um, and it may not have helped him. It may, it may have. I mean, we see the guy right behind him, Josh Shackey. It was a pick two. And, you know, Josh played under me straight away. Did it help him? Probably not. Did it help him? I'm not sure. But he's sitting there right now not playing senior footy and, and probably clinging on to his career. So I, I think the best thing for Jamar is the peop, is for the people around him. Um, I, I hope that they're being level with him and being honest with him and not telling him you're a pick one, you should be playing. Um, so his management, his family and girlfriend and all that sort of stuff i just hope they're telling him footy's hard you're an 18 year old boy don't end up like jack watts you know don't do that you've got plenty of time ahead work hard don't worry about anything else apart from working hard and sam walsh is a great example of how pick one should act he's the hardest working player at carlton and and that's what i want jamara's perception to be i don't want his perception to be ever anything else but that and he should be because we don't know him so you only have your perception in life. So we want that to be it and him banging the door down because he's, you know, humble in the way he goes about his business, hardworking, and uh, and just will we'll be ready when you're ready, coach. So the, the perception that he's being hard done by, <laughs> that, that they should be playing him, is just wrong. Yes. This is a club setting him up to thrive. Yep.
Was it right that he lost his temper, though, Bevo? Not lost his temper, lost his patience. I think he lost, I said last night, he lost his patience in a post-match where they'd just been beaten. And yeah. he ends up in a 17-minute press conference yeah. expanding on all manner of topics where, you know, I'm a bit, that that's a narrow press conference. And then your midweek press conference where he was he was expansive. He spoke about the, the tenseness in the relationship because he has to speak about it and it's really not doing them any good, him having to have the public dialogue. Welcome to the number one draft pick. So the the cautionary tale is clearly Jack Watts is round 11 in 2008. The only other number one draft pick who waited a long time was John Patton, who played in round 12, 2011. The other flip side to my question was was, if it was Matt Rowell, would Matt Rowell have won his place in the Bulldog side in the first eight rounds? Mm, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's midfielders are different. I mean, just think about So it goes to readiness. Yeah, it goes to readiness and, and he's he's got a bit of a man child body, doesn't he? Matt Rowell. But you think about the midfield space in our game, there's a lot more space through the midfield and if we funnel into a, a, an oval shape where there's goals and there's a five on five or a six on six and you have to outbody a guy that's done six pre seasons. As a midfielder you can outrun them and maybe get three or four metres of distance on them and get your loose positions and, and find a way to contribute. But it's very difficult as a key forward to contribute in your first four seasons just by the fact you haven't done enough hours in the gym like your predecessors have. The Crunch for Bet with Joel. Transparent results-driven sports tips. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. Jared Gold Coast and Kilda an hour away. There is a late change. Seb Ross is a late withdrawal there now. He's received Mitch Cleary reporting this moments ago. An extraordinary 28th birthday present yesterday. His wife has given birth to twin boys. Oh. So Seb Ross, obviously, and understandably, hasn't flown north with his teammates. So we're just awaiting confirmation from St Kilda about who is going to replace him. Tom Highmore, one of the emergencies, been seen warming up. But we'll wait for official confirmation from the Saints. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley-Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. We might dedicate the Harley Heaven rev up to the tribunals of two persuasions, the AFL and the VFL. For Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, five weeks for a full-on punch, which I thought we'd set a higher bar than that, but the VFL tribunal, I'm not sure, has been following recent history. And then the AFL tribunal decided that the raising of an elbow to a player who was coming in to tackle wasn't a careless act in the uh, case of Bailey Fritsch. Uh, how did our tribunals serve our game this week, Daisy? Oh, well, the, the AFL had made it pretty clear that the, the head sacrosanct, but then a couple of those decisions kind of confuse things, don't they? Um, the five weeks was far too lenient for a blatant punch, regardless of the circumstances w- with which it happened. And then the Fritsch one, I mean, you don't see any malice in the action, and as a player you can almost feel that flinch reaction that you might make but it, it any time you raise an elbow there's the potential to cause injury so I think it, it probably needed to stand yeah absolutely agree I mean obviously the five weeks is way too low um given that you've, you've thrown a punch at someone's face. We've seen recent history. It's probably at seven plus, maybe, Jared. Eight, that? I reckon, was eight, our... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so around, around about that that mode, it's a bit light on. But uh, I do feel for Fritch, because um, that, that can be offending motion. Um, and also, there was a little bit of stuff in it. But any time you do do that, throw an arm out and, and hit in the head, you, you, you're liable. Um, it's as simple as that. So um, you, you cop whatever it is, whether it's a week, whether it's to two. You know what? It often depends on the year. Because sometimes, you know, way back when, there were certain a- actions now that are a bit more allowed and vice versa when the game slowly moves. But 
Um, but it, it's a yeah, you, you elbow up, elbow on the head. You, you you think you'd get at least a week for something like that. Leper, I want to appeal to the defensive coach in you. I yeah. have an audio clue. <laughs> this is David Teague <laughs> oh, in preparation geez. for the Blues game against the Dogs. Well, if we concede a big score, we just got to make sure we kick a bigger score. So it's it's uh, scores for versus scores against. And I'll be honest, I think this game could be really exciting. It might be a high-scoring game. I think both teams will do their best defensively, but it could end up being a, a more offensive game. And what you've got to do is just balance the two. Uh, against Essendon early, our, our defence was off, and we probably upped our, our offence to make sure that we could stay in the game. And you've got to adjust what's out there. Do we want to get our defence better? Yes. Um, that's probably our biggest growth area, but... But sometimes the game requires you to score, and, and that could happen this weekend. Now, Malcolm Blight is in his car going, God, love him. But that is highly unusual language to hear from a senior coach, isn't it? I did hear him say, we will do our best to keep them in a low score. That was the one sentence I didn't mind about that. <laughs> oh, look, I, I, get, I guess it probably shows, isn't it? You get what you measure, and you know, a, a score. You win last week, and the opposition still score over 100. I'd be sort of thinking... We've scored well. Let's target now keeping them a little lower. Probably not the other way around. But maybe it's a strategy coming up against a pretty good offensively dynamic team. Maybe he's not telling us the truth. I mean, let's hope so. Because if you you let the doggies just to do what they want to do, well, um, good luck trying to catch them on the scoreboard. I can imagine Luke Beveridge using that to good effect. (laughs) But uh, I don't think him saying that means they spend any less time during the week really practicing and training their defense. Yeah, it was. A, it was just. I guess that's an interesting. It's the first time I've heard that. It's. A, it's a. I guess in a from a coaching perspective, you want to dominate all three facets of the game, don't you? Offense, defense, and contest. So to almost say we're going to have a little bit of a bit of circle work around on the weekend. It, it might be. It might be a tactic that works because the doggies are probably thinking, "Well, oh, geez, they're going to run hard, pretty pretty hard for. We want to win the contest because you know Carlton are going to challenge us back the other way. So look, he might be a genius, David Teague, and might have have it all worked out. And these things are always judged in hindsight. Absolutely. So, it's a good game anyway, and it's got plenty on it. Uh, so Essendon about to play the Giants this afternoon. Sam, there is bad news from a Bombers perspective. There is, unfortunately. They've copped a fresh injury blow the Bombers. It's their young recruit, Jai Coldwell. Now, he's re-injured his hamstring, Jared. So we know he suffered that really serious hamstring tear back in round two when Essendon went down to Port Adelaide that Essendon actually diagnosed as a six- to eight-week hamstring injury. But... The former giant is now facing an even bigger stint on the sidelines. He's got a history of hamstring issues too. He's one of the best midfielders uh, of the 2018 draft, but was said to have slipped back to pick 11 because of the multiple hamstring setbacks he'd encountered in his teenage years. So he's going to be staring down a a longer barrel, unfortunately, at the moment. So good in in round one against uh, the Hawks, real encouraging signs there. But uh, he's going to be sidelined for a bit longer after aggravating the hammy. And have you got the late change that you forecast? We have. So Seb Ross, again, uh, a father of twins now. So he didn't make the flight north. Mason Wood comes in for him. The former kangaroo will be the uh, the inclusion for the Saints. Sam, great to have you as part of Crunch Time. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Good calling. Daisy and Leper are staying on. You can give us a call now. So we've got all the topics of Crunch Time on the table for you to dissect. The open line, one 736 736 for Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern. 
Southern Phone mobile plans. How broad are the lessons out of last night with the Cats belting the Tigers or are you prepared to simply overlook it? Have you found your old woolen number five jumper at the bottom of the wardrobe? I'll have to get back to looking this afternoon. And and then the Suns and the Saints is our match for broadcast. one 736 736 This has been the Round 8 edition of Crunch Time. Thanks to the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Stocking the all-new Nissan Navara. Built tough.